0: Everybody, let's go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter fifteen. Luke fifteen is where we will be this morning. When I was in high school, I was not very popular. Um, Well, actually, I have a picture of me in high school. Here, here. This is me in high school. I was I was a turtle in my shell. I was shy and for. And, and in some ways, for good reason, I, I was a nerd. Was <laughs> like I'm not one now. I was new around that group of people. I had never. I didn't go to the same middle school as everybody else. And so when I'm walking in my ninth grade year, I don't know anybody in the school, and I was a fish out of water. To be completely honest with you, and one day something amazing happened. You can take the turtle off now. Uh, thank you. Okay. All right. that's just going to distract me so (laughs) better get that out of the way then one day something amazing happened I got invited to eat lunch with someone and it wasn't just someone and it wasn't just some table it was probably the most popular person in school um, at the cool kids table right I mean this was was the elite of, of, of high school popularity we're sitting at this table um it was the who's who. Now, this turtle is coming out of his shell, baby. I am I am on the fast track, right? I, I, I've got it made now. That invitation, no, I was still a nerd, and I still ended up being <laughs> a fish out of water, but it was a little bit easier. That invitation, though, meant the world to me because I found out later the person that offered it wasn't just popular. They were a disciple of Jesus Christ. And they were just following the master's example of inviting someone to commune with them that wasn't necessarily the most popular or the richest or the most well-to-do of society. He's just following Jesus' example. This morning we're going to read three parables that show us the way that God relates with those that aren't exactly highly regarded in society. Stand with me and turn to Luke chapter 15. We're going to start with the first two verses, and then we're going to cover the rest of the chapter as we go along. But Luke 15, uh, if you don't have a Bible, there is one in the pew in front of you. I just want you to know that because um, sometimes, sometimes, well... To be quite honest with you, sometimes we forget that sometimes folks are different and out of place and they're fish out of water. And so I want you to know if you're a fish out of water, we're glad to have you in this pond this morning. Um, Luke chapter 15 verses 1 and 2. This is God's word that we're reading and if you let it, it will change your life. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Father, help us to learn from your word. Help us to apply it to our hearts, to our minds, to our hands and feet. Lord, may we put the word of God in, that we may get the character of God out. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Imagine being one of these sinners. The most important person you will ever hear about in your entire life is now inviting you to come sit and eat with them, even though you're a sinner. Now, make no mistake, this word sinner, these are really bad people. It was reserved for the worst of the worst. Well, people who intentionally disregard God's law, it would be folks that embezzle money from nonprofits. That, those would be sinners, they would be the ones stealing from little old ladies. Those would be sinners. People that sell their bodies on the streets, those would be sinners. People that exploit children for a cheap labor force, those would be sinners. Sinners would prey on the poor while they get rich. These sinners were so bad that the rabbinical law said, you don't even have to teach Torah to them. They're so wicked. That. Those kind of people are sinners those are kind of people like, like we're not sinners the Bible says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God it also says the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God they've all turned aside together they have become corrupt there is none who does good, not even one find me one good person, one that does not turn away from God. You can't find them on earth. They're not here. The testimony of scripture is that every single one of us sins against God. Sin, simply put, is disobedience. It's when we choose our own way instead of following his way. It's every one of us offending God by our intentional defiance of his laws. We rebel against the holy God. And we deserve his wrath. And even that though, even though these sinners are so bad and so defiant against God, Jesus welcomes them anyway. And he wants to eat with them? Doesn't he know that bad company corrupts good morals? I mean, doesn't he know that when you put yourself around sinners, you're doomed to become one? And so the grumbling begins. Now the Pharisees and the scribes grumble, saying, "This man receives sinners and eats with them." I mean, just dripping with disdain. Do you hear it? Do you do you hear those words? Do you hear the animosity within them? It's kind of the way some of us say certain other types of groups, those Democrats or. Those Republicans, those Auburn fans, those Alabama snobs. Before we go too hard on the religious leaders, maybe, maybe we should take a look in the mirror. Because it's real easy for us to act the same way. Imagine someone walks in right now and their body, head to toe, is covered in tattoos. They got them all over their neck, all over their arms. They're wearing shorts, so they're all over their legs. What would you think? Would, Would you think, what are they doing here? See, it's real easy for us to look at people that way. But Jesus sees things differently. Jesus, in these three parables, he's going to teach us and the Pharisees just how God deals with sinners. And it's, a, it's such an important truth that I want to highlight it first. That's that God rejoices over all repentant sinners. Now, Jesus couldn't just say that. He couldn't just say, you know, guys, God really likes it when sinners repent. In fact, every time a sinner repents, God rejoices. He couldn't just say that, but he wants it to stick. And so he uses parables, three parables in this chapter. They all teach us that God rejoices over all repentant sinners. The first story is the parable that we call the lost sheep, verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, He calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. In this first story, a shepherd loses his sheep. He searches everywhere until he finds it. There's a second story, the story that we call the lost coin. Look at verse 8. Or what woman having ten silver coins if she loses one coin does not light a lamp and sweep the house and diligently seek until she finds it. And when she has found it she calls together her friends and neighbors saying rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Here again something valuable is lost and the owner searches until it's found. You know, there's some similarities. In both, the owner loses the object. The shepherd loses a sheep. The sheep kind of wanders off, and he doesn't get it back in time. And so he just wanders away, and now he's got to go look for it. A woman drops a coin and loses it. In both stories, the owner is the one to blame. The shepherd ought to have been watching the sheep better. The woman ought not have been messing with the coin. In both, the owner stops everything and goes through great trouble to find the object. The shepherd leaves 99 sheep out in the pasture, just leaves them out, and goes and searches for the woman. The woman, she's so desperate that she cleans the house to find it. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm desperate enough to clean, I'm desperate. In both, the owner finds the object and celebrates with friends and neighbors. It doesn't matter that the woman had the coin to begin with. It doesn't matter that the shepherd had the sheep to begin with. Just finding what was lost is reason enough to celebrate. And Jesus shows that. That, That's kind of the point of both stories. Look back at verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The point of both of these stories is the same. God rejoices over all repentant sinners. That idea of repentance means to do two things. It means to stop what you're doing and to turn away from it to do something else. For the sinner, repenting means that we stop sinning. We stop committing sins. We stop disobeying God. We stop offending him by going our own way instead of his way. We stop doing that and we turn to God and we seek after him. We start to do the things that he commands of us. We follow his path. We listen to his words and we do them. That's faith, by the way. That complete trust. That, that trust in God enough to alter the way that you live. That is saving faith. And now faith, faith is only as good as what you put it in. Faith in faith, that's just positive thinking. That's not going to get you anywhere. Faith in a person, well that's doomed to fail. I mean, anybody heard perfect? Contrary to Don Lemon, I know one who is. Faith in our righteous works. Boy, that's even more doom fail, isn't it? When faith is put in a person or in our own righteousness or in faith itself or in some some wishy-washy idea, whatever it might happen to be. I mean, after all, the Bible told us all of us have sinned. Every single one of us is guilty before God. We can't trust ourselves or others. We need something that can be trusted with our eternities, and only God can fit that bill. The Bible says... In Romans 9 33, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. People who trust in their own righteousness miss it because only Christ is righteous enough to meet God's standard. Romans 10 4 For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That word end is its destination. He's saying that Christ is the place, is the one that gets us to the destination of fulfilling the law. Because only Christ can fulfill the law. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, not in ourselves, not in others, not in the power of positive thinking or anything else, that's when we experience the freedom from sin's bonds. So we see in Christ these first two parables God rejoices over all repentant sinners. It's not just some sinners. Is if some are too far away or too bad. Or God doesn't want them. It's not, that, it's not that God only rejoices when certain people come. Um, no, God rejoices when any set of repentance. God wants us to know him. Ephesians 2, verses 12 and 13. Remember that you were, at that time, separated from Christ. He's talking about before you met Christ. You were separated from him, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now that is a terrible verse. And that's the condition that so many are in. Without Christ, you are alienated. You are strangers. You are hopeless. You are without God. But, verse 13, Now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near. By the blood of Christ. And that's what Christ does. He brings us near to God. That's why Isaiah could plead with his people. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. God wants us to know him. He doesn't want us strangers and alienated and without Him. He longs to rejoice as sinners return from their evil ways and trust Him. So He invites us, wicked sinners that we are, to the table. It's a wonderful message because so many are so hopeless. So many are in such desperate need. There's a third parable. And it's probably the one most well-known of all. Look in verse 11, and he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. The younger son, we don't know why he wanted to leave. Maybe he was just sick and tired of living at home. Maybe the old man was oppressing him. Maybe he thought, dad's keeping me from all this wonderful stuff out there, so I'm just going to leave home and go live it up. Whatever the reason, he demands this portion of the inheritance and runs away with everything. There's a stark dis- difference between this story and the prior ones. In the other two stories, when the owner loses something, it's the owner's fault. But in this story, when the father loses the son, it's not the father's fault. It's the son's fault. The son runs away. The son demands the inheritance. The son basically slaps his father in the face and says, I don't want to be your son anymore. You're dead to me. That's what taking your inheritance early is saying. He's saying, I don't care about you. Give me what's mine. You can basically go die for all I care can you imagine the heartbreak of the father? The son protecting him, protecting his teachings, rejecting his way of life, opting instead to party hard. soon the money runs out. and the reality of life hit him hard. Instead of a party, he's broke. Instead of being surrounded with friends, it turns out those friends really aren't friends after all. They abandon him. And the next thing he knows, this Jew is feeding pigs. Talk about the ultimate embarrassment. It's so bad. The Bible says that he wishes that someone would give him some of the slop. Himself. Tries to pick up the shattered pieces of his life, but it's just not working. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. Back at home, even the servants have plenty to eat. And I'm out of your start. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. with desperation, Prayer, probably little else. The son turned his heads back home. Verse twenty: and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And they began to celebrate. Just as the father yearned for his son's return, God aches for sinners to repent of their sins and turn to him. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter how long you've been away. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. God waits desperately for you to repent. And when you do, he will rejoice. God rejoices over all repentant sinners that's not the end of the story. See, if that was the end of the story, then that, that would be the whole point of all of these three parables, but there's a bow that hasn't been tied yet. Remember back in verse 2, when it said that the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling? He hasn't really dealt with them. He's dealt with the sinners, but hasn't really dealt with them. And they're the ones he's speaking to. They're the ones that he's trying to get through to. They're the ones that need to get slapped on the back of the head and get some sense knocked into them. They're the ones that need this parable. So he continues. Remember, there was two brothers in this story? That older brother, when he comes home, he hears all the noise, kind of far off, and he asks the servant what's going on, and the servant tells him, That your brother has come back home and your dad's celebrating with a party. Verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. Why was he so angry? Shouldn't he be glad that his brother returned? No, no, this this brother, instead of being happy, instead of rejoicing, he's wrathful. I mean, his brother's a sinner. Think, Think of how bad he treated their father. Instead of showing loving mercy toward the fallen brother, instead of re- recognizing and rejoicing in his repentance, the older brother instead is angry. He refuses to recognize the one who squandered his own inheritance. And the sad thing is he doesn't have the right to hold the grudge. The father does. The father should be the one who's chastising. The father should be the one who's punishing. The father should be the one rejected because the father was the one wrong. This brother's angry anyway, even though the father is rejoicing. The brother is angry, even though he has no right to be. So he complains about the father's goodness to this dirty, sleazeball son of yours. And he says that. He says, that son of yours, not my brother. You know, when your wife or your husband sees your kid do something and they say, that kid of yours, just, yeah. Yeah. It's not his brother. No. No. It's your son. That son of yours thinks he can just walk all over you and then walk back in and suddenly you're supposed to throw him a big party, kill the fattened calf, give him great clothes and rings and all kinds of stuff. so thought, all that's mine. All that belongs to me. He took his inheritance. Everything else belongs to me. Well, now we're getting at it. See, now we see problem isn't really what he did to the father. The problem is that now he is having to pay the price for that brother's repentance. We picture this in our minds sometimes as though, as though, well, when people come to faith in God, well, they're just going to take over the church and they're going to ruin it. Or, or they're going to just come in and get all of God's attention. It's like a, a, a kid, a small child, when a baby's born into the family, they get jealous and they start acting out because that baby's taking mama's time and getting all the hugs and kisses. And I'm just getting in trouble. Of course, if you weren't doing trouble making things, you wouldn't be getting in trouble. But still, you, you've seen that play, right? It's our jealousy coming to front. And if we're not careful, we can do that spiritually. But, Dad, he says, I've stayed with you. I've been faithful. I've even, I, I have done all this for you, and you've never even killed a goat for me. Jealousy. You see, he missed the main lesson. He I said the lesson was God rejoices over all repentant sinners. But that's not all of the lesson. You see, there's a second part to it God rejoices over all repentant sinners, and we should too. You see, because here's what Jesus is really saying. In heaven, there's much rejoicing when sinners repent. Why isn't there on earth? Why isn't my church? Why aren't my people? Why aren't my covenant nation of Israel? Why aren't they rejoicing when other people come to faith in Christ? When sinners turn from their ways and turn to God, why isn't there rejoicing all over the place? All the angels are celebrating. The creatures around the throne Singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The ones that are constantly praising God. They're all happy about it. But then we act like, how can how could you? We sit as Jonah waiting for Nineveh to fall. And when they repent and God spare the city, we throw our hissy fit. And then when God plants a corn tree plant to give us a lesson, we get mad and that, that plant gets eaten too. Doing is rejoicing in God that the lost has come home. The sheep has been found. The coin has been found. The son has been found. By the way, there's something else. Go ahead to verse 32. The father is answering the son and he, and he tells him, you're always with me. All that's mine is yours. You know that this all belongs to you. And then he says to verse 32, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead. That's not the first time he said this. He said it back in 24. When when the son first comes home, he says, says, give him all this stuff and and kill the fattened calf. Let's celebrate for my son who was dead is now alive. You see, because this is what happens when a sinner repents. He actually comes to life. You see, what actually happens is a dead man rises from the dead every time a sinner repents. And it brings God untold amounts of joy to raise people from the dead. To bring new life where there was no life. Also for Christ you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Down in Christ you've been made alive. I want to celebrate that. God yearns for the lost to come home. And that means we as Christians should yearn for them to come home too. It means we we must make use of every means at our disposal in order to bring them home. It means that we should be ready and willing to greet them with open arms and joyful hearts. It means that we should be ready to accept them regardless of their past mistakes or wrong actions. That doesn't mean that we excuse them. That doesn't mean that we immediately put them in positions of high leadership does mean we welcome them we love them and we help them grow even if we're the ones hurt even if we're the ones who have been put in a bad spot because of that person so here's the issue with Pharisees they're the older brother they they refuse to accept the sinners God is willing to accept any who come with repentant hearts David after he had that whole fiasco with Bathsheba and then killing Uriah to get her as his wife. He was under a lot of guilt. Listen to his prayer. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. God is willing to accept your broken spirit. He's willing to accept your heart ripped apart by sin. He's, he's willing to We've all failed, every single one of us. But that does not disqualify us from God's offer. Praise God it doesn't disqualify us. He wants you to come home, lost son, lost daughter, trust in Christ. He'll make you a brand new person. Bring you from death to life.